You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org.
but this is part four of the call. And so the four parts to this series have been the call to salvation, which we believe is for every person on the planet, that they have been called to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. And this comes with confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, repentance from sin, and believing that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says if um, those things take place, then you shall be saved. And so there is a call to salvation. There's a call out of a sinful lifestyle into right relationship with God. And our, our goal as a church is to take this call to the world, right? And to go and preach the gospel so that people understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there's this call to salvation for every believer. Um, the second call is the call to discipleship. And this call to discipleship is not only to receive this free gift of salvation that we cannot earn, that you, you cannot work yourself into salvation. It is a free gift given to us by Jesus, by what he accomplished on the cross. But discipleship is something different. Discipleship does cost because Jesus says, um, um, pick up your cross and follow me. There's a price to be paid for discipleship. There's a price to be paid for following Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that word disciple comes from the Greek word of discipulo, which is to, to be a learner, right? To just one who observes, one who learns, and then one who actually duplicates what is learned. And this is what we do. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, wanting to become more like Christ. That's what the word Christian means, Christ-like. Um, how many of you have ever told anyone that you're a Christian? Yeah. Um, so the, the real translation would be, and this sounds way different, is, hey, guys, I'm Christ-like. So can you imagine saying that in some spheres that you haven't been necessarily Christ-like? Um, but, but, th but this is what we say when we're Christian, that we are Christ-like. And this is what we are as we are becoming more like Christ, that we are disciples. Last week, we covered um, the call to service or the call to serve, which we also believe is a call for every Christian. Um, those of us who will serve the Lord, those of us who will use the time, the energy, the resources that God has given us to serve not just him, but also others, right? So we go from a place from salvation, re receiving the free gift of love from God and the free gift of salvation to becoming disciples, to experiencing God. I think that's on heater. Yeah. No. <laughs> Anyways, um, so um, the free gift of salvation to discipleship, which is experiencing Christ, Right? As we are with Christ, Jesus says, come follow me. Where I go, you will go. So we experience Christ. And then this service now is us offering Jesus to others. It's us actually presenting Jesus to others. We are now sharing Jesus with others. And so when you are in the service of Christ, this is what it looks like to serve other people. We are in tangible ways serving people so that they can experience Christ, but we are also um, in tangible ways speaking about Christ, serving the great commission of Jesus. And then lastly, we have um, this week is the call to leadership, the call to leadership. So I'm going to pray because I feel a little amped up this morning. Um, I probably shouldn't have worked out this morning. I thought it was going to be helpful, but now I think I'm on adrenaline, so we'll see. Um, pray with me. Lord, we are so thankful to be here this morning. We are so thankful to be in your presence and to engage your word. Lord, we pray that as we listen to your word 
as we are hearing what you're saying by your spirit, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the word, Lord, that we are transformed by it. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, hey, listen, the call to discipleship is, is a complex discussion for the church um, because like, like many doctrines of the church, there are many different understandings of leadership. How many of you know that? There are many different understandings. If you've gone to different churches, you'll probably see different styles of leadership. How many of you have ever experienced that, right? If you go to one denomination, you might experience something. If you go to a different denomination, you'll experience something else. And so those are doctrinal stances that those local church or those groups of churches have based on their understanding of Scripture, hopefully. Um, in the tradition that I grew up in, um, there was a high value on the church calling you to set apart leadership. So the church would call you out to set apart leadership. Um, and throughout the history of church, we've seen self-appointed leadership, where it's not even the church calling people out, but it's someone saying, hey, I believe that I'm the leader. Um, so we see the church calling out leadership. We see self-appointed leadership. Um, but um, you believe it or not, there's even this sense of some people being like, hey, well, you know, no one's doing it. You look like a good guy. Maybe you should do it. Um, there's that kind of leadership that happens in churches all, all the time as well. Um, as followers of Jesus who believe, listen, friends, that Jesus is the head of the church and that Jesus is building his church. How many of you believe that? That Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is building his church. The only time, uh, uh, the only type of leadership that we should be promoting is biblical leadership. And biblical leadership needs to have biblical roots and it needs to have biblical pattern. And so if we see it in scripture, this is the type of leadership that we want to uh, promote and that we want to cultivate in a local church and in the people of God. Uh, in the scripture, um, we see this, friends, this pattern, that it's man that appoints leaders, right? It's man that appoints, but it's God who anoints. You guys kind of get that? It's man who is, so it's, it's recognized by, by man. So, um, you know, when we appoint a leader in the life of the church, it is recognized by us, and so we appoint it, but it first has to be by the anointing of God, right? Uh, in, in 1 Samuel 10, um, we, we can see that it was the people who wanted a king, right? All of the nations had a king. The children of Israel didn't have a king. They were a theocracy. They were a people who were led directly by God. Obviously, they had human um, Leadership, So they had prophets who would lead them. We see uh, Moses and we see the patriarchs who, who led before. But there was never an, a, a, like an anointed person to be a king over the people. But the people wanted a king. They saw every other nation having one. They wanted one. And so it was a people who appointed Saul, the Benjamite, as the first king of Israel. I was doing a, a word study on, on this passage. And just a, a side note, it's amazing that... Saul was never anointed king of Israel. He was anointed the prince of Israel. That's kind of crazy. So David became king and was anointed a king, but it was Saul who was anointed prince. That's just something to think about later. Um, that, that one was for free. You guys can study that later. Um, but listen, um, Saul could have never been appointed king unless he was anointed by God. And eventually we see that Saul's leadership turns, turns sour, and eventually he's rejected by God. But it wasn't because of God, 
God anointed him to be king, but it was his character that soured over time, that disqualified him from leading God's people. Um, the call of leadership must always start, listen, friends, with a call from God. When someone is ordained, whether it be in, in a governmental leadership within the life of the church, or honestly, friends, even the exterior leadership that we see in the broader world in this kingdom that we are a part of, it has to be a call from God. When people are, are insecure about their leadership, it is this thing that we, that we, we find as our anchor to be a leader within the kingdom of God. It's this thing that is our anchor that God has called us. And if you aren't convinced that God has called you, you're going to find yourself on shaky ground. Um, appointment is, is, is a recognition of this call. So when someone is appointed, um, in, in, in a short time, we're going to be uh, ordaining two, deacon, two new deacon couples into the life of the church. What we normally do is we'll, we'll present them to the church ahead of time and say, hey, listen, we as a church have recognized the call of God on their lives. They have recognized the call of God on their lives. There has been a pattern of leadership from their lives. And so as a church, we are presented it to you. If there's any reason why you feel like these couples should not be appointed to the role of deacon in the life of the church, then we're going to ask you to come to us and let us know if there's anything biblical that would disqualify them. And if not, then, hey, um, we are going to ordain them. So there is still a recognition that needs to come from the people. Are you guys with me? We see this in Scripture. Um, when, when David is finally ordained as the king of Israel, he was anointed by Samuel when he was a, a teenager. But it took a, a, a long time for him to grow into this place where he was ready to be king. And it was the people of Israel that the elders came around him and anointed him as king of Israel. So there is a recognition by the people. Um, we, we have to know this because the call to leadership doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? I mean, I don't know. How, how many of you have ever worked in a place where, you know, you're expecting someone to be promoted and, you know, he's the person who everyone, it makes sense. This guy is going to get the job. And, and then somehow out of nowhere, some other person comes and he gets, he gets hired to be the position that everyone believed was going to go to someone else. Has anyone ever experienced that? I'm talking about like kind of work culture and stuff like that, right? Somehow in a vacuum, that stuff was happening. Whoever was looking to hire the person who was going to replace this other person, it was happening and there was, it wasn't, wasn't happening with the involvement with anyone around. And I think sometimes that happens um, within church leadership as well. This hire and fire culture that we see in churches today has adopted the corporate culture rather than the kingdom culture. And so I'm pretty sure, I mean, it, it, it would be really weird if I say, hey, you know what, I feel like God's calling Vanessa and I to plant a church on the other side of L.A. or whatever, and we are going to hand over this church to John Jones. Who? <laughs> right? There's this, this hire and fire culture where it's like, what happened here? Like, what, what went down? Like, you know what I mean? And so this, that, when we start seeing the world's culture invade the kingdom culture, when it comes to leadership, we have to be very weary of that. We have to be very weary of that. Um, when, when resumes outweigh character, something is wrong. How many of you believe that? When your resume 
is more important than your character, something is wrong. Listen, friends, God doesn't always call the qualified. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I started leading this church um, 12 years ago. I, I was 33 years old, and I was not qualified. When, when, I, when we planted, and I started trying to engage with all of the other churches in our community. I wanted to get to know them. I wanted to build partnerships with them. And so here I am introducing myself to other pastors who have been all, you know, pastoring for quite some time and significantly older than I was at the time. And they would look at me sideways like, who in the heck are you? How old are you? Uh, I mean, I don't think 33 is that, that young. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for us at 33. So, I mean, I think that's pretty significant. Um, but they're like, are you the youth pastor? Like, who are you? Like, you know, there, there, there's, there's this always sense of this qualification. But listen, it is God who qualifies the call. We might not all carry the qualifications immediately, but I am so thankful that it is God who qualifies us. Um, next thing I want to uh, touch on real quickly is character matters when it comes to godly leadership. How many of you believe that? That character absolutely matters. 1, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 give us biblical qualifications for governmental leadership within the life of the church. But I don't believe that only applies to church leadership. I believe that believes to leadership across the board for all Christianity. If you are called to be a leader, if you are leading your home, if you are leading in the workplace, if you are leading at school, if you are leading a small group, if you're leading a Bible study, if you're um, using your influence in any way, shape, or form for the kingdom of God, these qualifications matter for godly leadership. When the Bible is no longer the standard, listen, friends, the results can be tragic. And I think that um, we, we've have seen, if you pay attention to the church world, we've seen far, far too many reports of men and women of God falling back into sin and falling into immorality and other things because of the lack of character. I have heard a term that I, I kind of maybe want to address. What sometimes when you hear someone, you know, backslide or do something like that, we, we say they fell from grace. And I, I, me personally, biblically, I don't believe we can fall from grace because the grace that God has is, is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. To fall from grace to me is to be unredeemable, and I don't believe that there is a person on this planet that is unredeemable. Um, so I just wanted to say that real quick. But listen, more importantly than character, my argument, friends, for this whole series has been this. The call to salvation the call to discipleship, the call to serve, the call to lead must be based on hesed. This word hesed that I've tried to weave into every, every part of this sermon is this attachment love to God. It's, it's our love and adoration for him based on the love and mercy that he has shown us. Every one of these calls is based on this love that we have for him and that he has for us, right? Deep love and devotion. Can you guys say this word with me again? Has said, has said. Listen, when, when we answer each of these calls based on this type of love, the fruit will be evident. The fruit of your salvation will be evident. The fruit of your discipleship will be evident. The fruit of your service will be evident in your life. And listen, friends, the fruit of your leadership will be evident when you base all of these calls on this type of love. 
Um, you, remember, you may remember in part one, and I'm going back because I'm, I'm ending this series and I just want to tie this all together. Um, I stated that each one of these calls is progressive, right? So you, we can't start with the call to leadership without answering the call to salvation first. So it progresses. So you, you can't answer the call to leadership if you haven't answered the call to salvation. You can't answer the call to leadership if you haven't answered the call of discipleship. And you can't answer the call to uh, leadership if you have not answered the call to service. Right? These are all prerequisites for God and those that he appoints to the place of leadership. Or you can put it more plainly like this. You can't lead for Jesus if you aren't saved. That's just, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, right? But li li listen to these ones too. You can't lead for Jesus if you aren't a disciple. If you have never been a disciple of Jesus, how, to, how do you make disciples? Right? So you, you have to honor the process that God has given us. Same, same for um, being a servant. You can't lead for Jesus if you aren't a servant. Jesus was so clear about this. We talked about this last week. If you want to be first, you must be last, right? It, Jesus asked his, his disciples, if you want to be a leader, you have to model like the things that I did and I washed your feet. And a student is no greater than the master. And if I've washed your feet, then you must go and do the same. And so if you want to lead in God's economy, we have to take on the traits that Jesus had and service was one of them. If you believe that, say amen. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says this. If you are faithful in little things, say little things, you will be faithful in large ones. How many of you believe that? Right? And so when, when um, you know, when you want to start training kids and, 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 and taking on more responsibility, you give them little things to do, right? Or you want to train them in handling their money, then you give them a little bit of money, right? So I, I you know, I'll give our kids money, um, you know, pass dollar bills, stuff like that. I don't pass out $100 bills to my kids, right? Because, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? It's going to get drawn on. It's going to get ripped. I mean, there's just no value of that money. They just don't understand it yet. It's the same for the, those who follow Jesus. Those who are faithful with little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, then you won't be honest in greater responsibility. And so when it comes to leadership, you have to have been faithful in the little things. You had to have been faithful in the stages before it led up to your call to leadership. Are you here with me? You sure? Uh, when, when you skip the line in any of the areas, it can be a train wreck. It, it, it honestly can, friends. It, it, the Bible also tells us that we shouldn't promote people too early on in their walk with Jesus because they could become arrogant, right? Their, their, their flesh could kind of raise up or their, 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 their humanness can raise from them. God hasn't weaved, probably weaved all the things out of them necessary for them to be a good leader. So we have to be very careful with those things. Um, when any of these calls, listen, friends, are based on religious activity and not based on his said, as we've talked about this deep love, deep love for Jesus, it can be tragic. It can be tragic because now it becomes this climbing the spiritual social ladder rather than answering the call of Jesus on our lives. And I've seen it. And I'm telling you, friends, there is nothing worse than to watch brothers and sisters in Christ elbow their way to the front to a place of leadership 
instead of waiting for the God call on their lives. Are you with me? To be, to be clear about the call of leadership, friends, I, I, I don't believe, listen, friends, that every person is called to be anointed leadership in the church. I, I don't believe that because I don't see it in Scripture. Not everyone is going to be a pastor. Not everyone is going to be a deacon. Not everyone is going to carry leadership that we even see as a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. But I do believe, listen, friends, I do believe that every person has been called to spiritual leadership in your sphere of influence. And so when we say often in this place that every person is a leader, we believe that. When we have our All Saints meeting um, um, uh, monthly, we, we invite the entire church to be a part of this growing process of leadership. It doesn't mean everyone's going to be ordained a deacon. It doesn't mean everyone's going to be ordained an, an elder, a pastor in the life of the church. But it does, uh, it does mean that we believe that each and every one of you has godly influence to lead in your spheres. And if you don't believe that, then I want you to hear that this morning, that you are called to spiritually lead in the spheres of influence that God has placed you. If you're a mother at home, then God has placed you in a sphere of influence to lead in that area. If you are a student at school, then God has placed you in that place to spiritually lead in that area. If you are in the corporate world, God has placed you in that place to lead in your sphere of influence. If you're a CEO for a Fortune 500 company, God has placed you there to lead spiritually in that sphere of influence. We may not believe that that's the case, but I'm telling you, friends, this is what living the kingdom lifestyle is. This is what godly leadership looks like, that we are called to use the influence that God has given us to lead others into this deep said that we're talking about. Um, one, of, one of the profound ways that I experienced this type of influential leadership was from a Marine Corps captain. Um, this, this captain chose to step outside of his government-appointed position, and his influence changed the course of my life. So, you know, some of you might know a little bit of my Marine Corps story. I was 19. I joined the Marine Corps at 17. I was 19 years old. I was two and a half years into the Corps. I was far from God. I was engulfed in sin and shame. I was also waiting to be tried in a court-martial, looking at 19 years in federal prison. This Marine Corps captain summons me to his office, and I think, like, it's going to be another one of those conversations that I've been having leading up to this trial that I'm about to face. So he's a commanding officer of um, Headquarters Service Battalion while I was working. Go to his office. I walk in. He shuts the blinds. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a Marine Corps captain. I mean, if, if you don't know anything about, like, structure, like, this is a serious thing, and now he's shutting the blinds. <laughs> so he shuts the blinds, and then he begins to talk to me. And it almost felt like if, if someone was talking to their son. And I'd never experienced this with this captain. I had worked for him. I'd never experienced this kind of interaction with him. So this was different. So he... he he began to tell me that he, he had overheard me saying that I grew up in a Christian home. And so he, he kind of, you know, poked at that a little bit. And, you know, I kind of, you know, mentioned some, you know, some of those things. 
And then after that short little kind of interaction, he began to preach the gospel to me. He began to remind me about God's love. And he began to remind me that God had a call on my life. And then this man, wearing his, we called them um, service alphas, I mean, just with his captain bars, gets on his knees in this office, and he invites me to my knees, and he leads me through a prayer of repentance. Here's a man who has been given a government official position of influence. And everything that he was doing in this office was against protocol. But this is a man who understood that though at the time President Clinton was our commander-in-chief, his commander-in-chief was King Jesus. And this is what leadership does. This is what godly leadership does. We use the influence that God gives us to reach those who need to experience deep said with God. Are you with me? John chapter 21. We're going to hang out here for a little while. This is um, a portion of scripture Jesus has has already resurrected from the dead. He had already appeared to some of the disciples, and um, he he is now about to have this other interaction. This call to leadership that I'm calling out in this passage is specifically surrounding the person of Peter. And we, we have talked about Peter a bit in this series when Jesus goes to the shore of Galilee and he calls his first disciples. Peter was one of those guys. And if you remember two weeks or three weeks ago, we spoke about Peter, but I want you to listen to this again. I'm going to read it, do a few pauses, and then give us a few points to go home, to go home with. Verse one, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, or the sons of thunder, Um, the uh, the two other disciples. How would you like to be those guys? Right? Everyone else gets a name, and then you got, like, oh, you got the two other ones, you know, those guys, um, the two other disciples. And, 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 and Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. There's something significant here. Because Jesus had called these men, he had called them out of fishing. And, and, and the place that they went back to when, when they began to experience doubt and when they began to experience uh, um, um, their they're set back thinking that Christ has now died, he has been crucified, and, and all hope is lost. What do people do? They go back to what they knew. And this is what Peter is doing. He's going back to fishing. Hey, Jesus is gone. I'm going back to fishing, right? Um, the other disciples says, hey, we're, we'll come too. And it's clear that the call of leadership was already on Peter's life. I mean, he was already, he's always getting these dudes into trouble. He was always the first one to step out. He was a spokesperson for the discipleship group, and he's always getting in trouble. Um, but the call of leadership was always resting on Peter. They said, we'll come to. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows. This is a funny word. I don't know who calls out fellows. I don't, the, the, the Greek um, word is really children, 
but New Living Translation says fellows. I'm, I'm going to start calling you guys, hey, fellows. Um, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul it in in the net because there were so many fish in it. Quick pause. Doesn't this account sound nearly exactly like what happened when Jesus first called them? They were out fishing. Jesus was preaching. Then he comes and he sees them, right? And, and they, they, um, they were fishing. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus tells them, hey, how about you set that on the other side, right? Cast his nets on the other. And they're like, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught nothing. At that time, they argued. This time, they weren't arguing. But it sounds like that first encounter with them when he said, come and follow me. Drop your nets, and I'm going to make you fisher of men. Jesus is meeting them right back in that same sea, almost the same scenario. And this miraculous thing happens again. Um, verse 9, when, when they got there, they found breakfast. When they came, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Seven. There we go. I skipped up. Then the disciples, um, then the disciple Jesus loved, and that's that's John, um, said to Peter, It's the Lord. I mean, I love that John, John had a revelation before he wrote Revelation, right? So the book of Revelation was written by John the Beloved or the one Jesus loved. Uh, many theologians believe he was the youngest of the disciples. I, I actually believe in that it, he probably started his discipleship walk with Jesus between the ages of 14 and, tw- and se- uh, 14 and 17, young disciple, had a place in Jesus's heart. But it's this disciple that says, it's the Lord, right? And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, listen, friends, and I want you to think about this. He put up his tunic because he had taken it off to do, do the fishing. He jumps into the water and headed to shore. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were, um, there were only, only about a, uh, 100 yards from the shore. Quick pause again. If you remember Peter's, some of Peter's antics, this isn't a, the first time that Peter had jumped out of a boat for Jesus. And this time, he wasn't waiting for a word. And he didn't even care if he was going to walk on water or not. He jumps into the water to meet with Jesus. There's been a shift. There's been a shift in this man. And why there's been a shift in this man is because this man has experienced the presence of God. He knew Jesus. He had walked with him for three and a half years. There was no more. If that's you, Lord, call me. No, John the Beloved said, that's Jesus. And Peter said, what? Boom. There is a growth we see in in Peter's life. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Another pause, friends. Jesus is still the only bread of life. But when it comes to leadership, friends, as leaders, you are now required to bring something to the table. Jesus was already cooking a meal, but he tells Peter, go and bring some fish. As leaders, when when you have a call to leadership, you have to recognize that you have something to bring to the table. 
Yes, Jesus is the bread of life. Yes, Jesus is the main course. But God is always using human agency to lead people into a deep loving relationship with him. Can you say amen to that? Verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, and Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the, um, the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Now we get to the restoration of Peter. And I don't, I don't um, only like to view it as the restoration of Peter. I also like to view it as his call to leadership. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's great debate by a lot of theologians about this. Some, some, some say Jesus is asking him, do you love me more than any of these other disciples? I don't know if he said that. Some, some theologians say, hey, Simon, son of Joe, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love them? Could be that. But Jesus is asking him about this thing. Do you love me? Are you in deep said with me? Is there still a love and devotional love between you and I, Peter? Is this real still knowing all that's happened? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Some theologians would also point out there's two different words for love being used in this passage. Jesus is using the word agape. And the word agape is a deep, godly love. And so Jesus is saying, let me translate it, Peter do you have a deep, godly love like you have for no one or any other thing? And Peter is responding, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And that word is, is not agape. It's not a deep, godly love. That word where we get the word Philadelphia, right? It's a brotherly love. And so he's saying, yes, Lord, I love you. But it's not as the same as the love that you're you're asking me about. Are you guys with me? So then Jesus says this, then feed my lambs or feed my people, Jesus tells him. There's a call to leadership here. Verse 16, Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, again, do you agape me? And then Peter says this, yes, Lord. Peter said, you know that I love you still using the other term of love. And then Jesus says this, listen, friends, then take care of my sheep. A call to leadership. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And in verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, and listen, friends, he meets Peter where he's at. Do you love me? The way that you can love me. Do you love me? And then Peter was hurt with Jesus because he asked the question a third time. And if, if you go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 61, we recognize that this is significant and it's very prophetic. 
Because in Luke chapter six, um, 22, verse 21, we recognize that Peter had denied Jesus three times when he was on trial for his life. He's being whipped and he's being scourged and he is being persecuted. And the disciples were in the same courtyard and people were recognizing like, hey, this man who, who's guilty and being put on trial, aren't you his followers? Aren't you guys with him? And three times Peter says, I don't even know that man. He denied Jesus three times. And all this just comes flooding over Peter at this time as Jesus is using this same interaction prophetically. You've denied me three times, and so now I'm going to ask you to confess your love for me three times, Peter, because there's a call of God on your life, and you need to know, you need to know, this is God. He knows, but you need to know that you are in deep has said with me, that you are experiencing a deep love for me because the thing that I'm going to call you is going to require every ounce of love that you've ever mustered in your life. Peter says this, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. Still using phileo. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. A call to leadership. A call to leadership. Verse 18, then Jesus begins to use this as a teaching moment. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. And so this is talking about his maturity. He's talking about Peter's maturity. When you were younger, when you were immature, you got to do the things you wanted. You had choices. How many of you remember having choices before you were parents? Right? How many of you remember you had choices with your money before you had to pay a mortgage? As you get mature, you have less choices because I make money that is no longer mine. It already belongs to the bank because I'm paying for a house and a car and I have six children. So that, you know, you, you, just, yeah. So, <clears throat> um, He's saying this to Peter. When you were younger and immature, you got to do what you wanted. Even when you were following me, Peter, when you were my disciple and walking around, you're still doing crazy stuff. You're arguing with me. You're telling me, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And you're cutting off people's ears. I mean, you're doing all this crazy stuff. But listen, Peter, you, you had choices before when you were walking in immaturity. But now this call on your life is going to require something else. Listen, friends. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to let him know, friends, what kind of death he would glorify God. By, by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus tells him this. Listen, friends, follow me. Follow me. Peter would eventually give his life for Jesus. He would be crucified by the same government that crucified Jesus. He wouldn't allow them to crucify him like they did Jesus, though. He said, if you're going to crucify me, this was Peter. He said, you're going to crucify me upside down because there's no way you're going to crucify me like you did, my Lord. This man, this man's call to leadership is powerful. But listen, friends, it wasn't based on, on, on his qualification. It wasn't based on his resume. It was based on this thing that Jesus is asking him here. Do you love me? Verse 
Do you love me? Are you in deep connection with me? Because it's going to require this deep connection to go where I'm going to take you and to lead in the way that I'm asking you to lead. It's full circle. Everything that Peter had experienced led him to this point. Everything. His call to salvation, a, a sanctification process we see unfolding in the Gospels. Right? His, his call to discipleship at the shores where he fished with his brothers and fathers. His call to serve at the Last Supper. His call to lead on the same shores where Jesus first found him. Full circle. But Peter had to first answer sincerely these three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And beyond the three questions, he had to answer the call to lead. Then feed my sheep. Then love my sheep and feed my sheep. One of those that says lamb, sorry. Um, the call to lead. If you love me, then you're going to have to lead my people. And if you love me, then you're going to have to feed my people. If you love me, you're going to have to care for my people. This is what it's going to require to be a leadership in my kingdom. It's a question that I believe every person must answer that's called to leadership and a question that I'm going to leave with you today. Do you love Jesus? And if you do, then lead for Jesus. And you lead in your spheres of influence. You lead in the places that God has placed you. You lead in every area and every opportunity that God's given you. You lead. Lead for Jesus based on the love that you have for him, not based on your qualifications, not based on any promotion warrant, not based on any recognition from man, based on the love that you have for God, knowing that he has called you to do that very thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 23 says this, and we know that God causes everything. Can you say everything? God causes everything to work together for the good for those, listen, friends, who love God, I'm going to pause because I really believe many people quote this verse and it's strictly based on the back end of this verse, those who are called according to his purposes. So we think, oh, well, God causes everything to work good for God's leaders because they're called to do his purposes. It's based on our love for God and those who are called according to his purposes. I'm quoting another version. Um, let me read the version I placed up there. God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is what God does for those who love him. This is what God does for those who choose to walk out their purposes to lead in a world like today, in the spheres of influence that God's called us, whether it's in the church, outside of the church, where it's in your workplace, in your school, in your home, for those who love God and are, are, are walking out his purposes, everything seems to work out for the good. Isn't that amazing? But when I look at Peter's life, and you're just like, man, it didn't seem like it worked out too good for Peter. But it did. It did. The greatest thing that we will ever do, friends, is serve Jesus. The greatest thing we're ever going to do is make an impact in this world for King Jesus. About two months after this interaction with, with Jesus, Peter preaches his first sermon. And he preaches his guts out. 
and he 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 rebukes these people and he and he he preaches go go read and 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 uh acts chapter early part of acts chapter two he preaches his guts out and listen friends thousands of people come to know jesus and peter listen friends knucklehead peter cut off someone's ear peter becomes a pastor of the first mega church ever on this planet based on a question do you love me then feed my sheep do you love me if your response today is like peter's lord you know all things and you know that i love you then here's my challenge to you lead Lead. Stop fading into the background. Stop allowing your life to just happen. Stop allowing the spheres that you're in to just manifest things that, that aren't supposed to be manifesting because you're not choosing your rightful place in those spheres. You have to lead. Parents, you have to lead. You can't just leave it to chance. You can't let the world shape, shape your kids. And I'm going to be really honest with you right now. You can't let the church shape your kids. Lead. Husbands, lead. Your wife is desperate for your leadership. Lead. You ministry leaders, don't think that, that, that because everything is going fine and your people are all okay that they don't need your leadership. You need to lead. Elders and deacons, lead. Love God's people. Feed the people. Make sure that they're cared for and they're loved and, and that they're being paid attention to. It's important because the enemy has a plan for all of their lives too. And the enemy's plan is threefold, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But it is God, it is Jesus who says, I have come to bring you life and give it to you abundantly. Abundantly. It takes leadership. It takes leadership to show that to people. It takes godly leadership to reveal that to people in this world. It's not going to just happen. When you pay attention to the world stage, we know what bad leadership looks like, and we know what bad leadership does. And I'm not choosing a political side because there's bad on, on both sides right now in our nation. But you, you, we know what bad leadership does. We also know what no leadership does. Lead. God has called you in any sphere. Do it because you love him. And do it because you care for the people that God has placed in that sphere. Amen? Would you mind standing with me this morning? Pam? If you could, um, I would love you with it. Yeah. As I was preparing um, for this message and preparing just for maybe what God would minister I really believe that some have forfeited their leadership position in spheres that God has placed in. That, that forfeit can, can come in many ways. It, I mean, it can feel like maybe even that place was stolen from you. And I get to minister with men often, and I, I, I recognize for a lot of men that it wasn't just maybe even a, a feeling of forfeiture, but it's feeling like they're 
their place in the home was stolen from them. I really believe that God wants to put, make that thing right. I believe people in here, and, and I, I felt this really significantly for, for some of you women. You're just feeling like somehow this, this hierarchy in, 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 you know, the gender structure has made you subordinate in a way that you cannot lead. And I just want to remind you that that's, that's not God. You have been created in the image of your heavenly father, just like any other man on this planet. And that you have been given a rightful place to lead in the church and out of the church. I really believe God wants to lift some of that off of you as well. I believe some of you have been wrestling with your call to leadership. Some of you are called to godly leadership within the life of the church, and you're wrestling with it. And I think you're wrestling with it maybe because you haven't solidified those other calls in your life. You haven't solidified that call to salvation. You haven't solidified the call to discipleship, and you haven't solidified the call to service. And I'm telling you, you're going to have to push in you're going to have to stop running from God. Stop being a Jonah and start doing the things that God has asked you to do. And I really believe for all of us, God wants to remind us this morning that your call to leadership has to be based on your love for him. It has to be an out, outer working of this deep, love, this adoration that you have given him based on the love and mercy that he has bestowed upon you. Because I'm telling you, friends, that kind of leadership is powerful. It's powerful. We all see the, you know, the brute force leadership, and that might be effective in the culture, but I'm telling you, it's this love, this love type of, this love-based leadership that is powerful and that moves mountains and that shapes families and that restores relationships and that puts people on a pathway that the devil can never detour them from again. If you feel like you need to respond this morning, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. Anyone who feels they need to respond to anything the Lord has said to you this morning, I would just love for you to just lift your hands to God. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is just between you and the Lord. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything like that. But if there's a response that needs to happen from you, just, just lift your hands to the Lord if you're willing. And I want you to respond. If there's any repentance that needs to take place, maybe you haven't been doing what you know you should be doing, then maybe this morning is a time for you to repent. If your leadership has been based on, on, on appointment rather than the anointing of God, then, then hash that out with the Lord this morning been feeling disqualified, you've been allowing the enemy to lie to you and, and to belittle you because of your past, I want you to know that your heavenly father looks down upon you today and he is shining on you and he still calls you. He's still calling. He hasn't given up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this call to leadership. Lord, thank you for seeing us for bigger than who we are. Lord, thank you for, for seeing us with, with, with the qualifications that we don't carry. 
but thank you for, for showing us what, what true loving leadership looks like. And I pray, Father, that we will have the courage, that we will have the courage to step into this type of leadership based on our love for you, God. Because I love you, I will say yes. Because I love you, I will feed your people. Because I love you, I will speak up in the office place. And yes, I can, I can lose my job, but I'm going to do it for you, Jesus, because you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Lord, I pray for leaders. Leaders to rise in this season. Leaders who will lead. a month at least where we invite every person in the life of this church not just to be a leader and to you know learn how to take care of the kids in church this is this is this is a life thing it's not just an inside the church walls thing we also believe in service not just service within the church although that's important but service outside of the church I mean, we we ha have ways that we want to see the influence of god manifested through the church so there's, there's ways and there's avenues for you to get involved, to sharpen these areas of your life. We would love to lead you in any of that if you're, if you're willing um, and, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're ready. So even if you're not ready, I think you should try it. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, uh, we are so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we will be back together tonight at 5 p.m. We do, the, we do this once a month. Uh, we are going to come together and we are going to have communion. And what I mean by communion is we, we eat together. This is what we believe true communion was. And so we ask for you as families, just bring, bring your family's best dish, whatever that might be, um, and come, share it. We, we share a meal, and then we truly just spend time in God's presence. We worship the Lord, and, um, and it's, it's, it's always a really good time in God. It's a good time with each other and with God. One thing I want to just note, this thing of his said is not just a thing that is shared between us and God. The response to deep and true authentic has said is us sharing has said together that because God has loved us and we learn to love God, we also now learn to love each other. And that's powerful when it comes to community. So let's uh, come and share some has said tonight. Love you guys. See you guys at 510.